I was just told why my, my suit jacket doesn't fit anymore. It's apparently, and I agree with them, it's the Welcome Center. Y'all bringing too much good stuff. Now here's the thing. Don't take that as an excuse not to bring stuff. I will bite that bullet for you guys. I will have suit jackets that don't fit so you guys can continue to bring good stuff. Today we're gonna, uh, we're gonna continue looking through uh, Revelation chapter two and, and, the, and, and three. We're looking at these seven churches that God, Christ, right, writes these letters to. Last week we looked at the first letter, which is to the church in Ephesus. And remember we talked about how the church in Ephesus, where it was located and all that kind of stuff. And that Christ says, yes, your works are great and that's good, but you've left your first love, which was me. You no longer care about people. Repent. This week, we're looking at a church. He writes this letter to the church in Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is about 35 miles north of Ephesus, which is on the, Ephesus is on the western coast of, Greece, of uh, Turkey, I'm sorry, of Turkey, port city. And Smyrna is also a port city, but about 35 miles north. So a lot of the things that Ephesus, the church in Ephesus would have had to deal with, the church in Smyrna would also have to deal with. Sailors who like to drink, they like their prostitutes, they like, you know, so they're dealing with that. But the church in Ephesus had the specific thing to deal with of the temple of Artemis. And we talked about that last, last week. Smyrna the specific thing they have to deal with, and there's not always going to be this one central thing that they had to deal with in these letters, but Smyrna happens to have one. We're in the middle of the Roman Empire, right? And Roman emperors, most of them didn't necessarily believe that they were gods, but they kind of put it out there that they were so that everyone would just follow them. What happens in Smyrna, though, is that there is this small cult that believes wholeheartedly that every emperor is a god. Why is that important? Let me paint this picture for you. What is Christ to us? He is Emmanuel, God with us. So you walk up to somebody in Smyrna and you go, listen, let me tell you about God. He came to us to save us. And this guy goes, yeah, I know. He's sitting on the throne in Rome. This is what they're dealing with in Smyrna. This is the issue. And we're going to read this letter here in just a second. It's really short because God is quick. He's to the point. And he doesn't say anything bad about Smyrna. He warns them. Let's read it. Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. It's really short, like I said. Let's read it, shall we? And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Right off the bat, I want to point something out. The second half of verse 8. I, I mentioned last week, I believe, maybe I didn't, but um, that 
there's a different description of Christ at the beginning of each of these letters, right? Last week we read that he's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. It shows Christ's power, his might, his authority. This week we read the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. It's your resurrection. He is God. Now why is that important? I mentioned the emperors, right? They're all dead. They all stayed dead. Some of them lived longer than others. But the thing is, as this cult is in Smyrna, they can say, yeah, he's sitting on the throne. And you can go, yes, but he's going to die. And he's done. Christ died. And he rose again. Christ starts out his letter to this church in Smyrna by just smacking this cult in the face and going, listen, no, I'm the one who died, yes, but I came back. None of you can say that because I'm the true God. Next week when we look at the next churches, and just pay attention to what, how Christ is described. It's incredible. So then he continues on. Number one here, number one, he knows. Number one, he knows. I know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. How often do you hear? We hear it throughout scripture in the Psalms, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, and all of it. We hear people of God, saints of God, screaming out, crying out, going, God, do you even know what's happening here? And I'm going to be honest, I've heard some of you and even I have said it. God, do you see what's happening in this world right now? Do you see the pain? Do you see the heartache? Do you see the evil, the vile acts of men? Do you even see it? And God starts off and he goes, listen, yeah, I know. I know the tribulation that you're facing. I know your poverty. There is nothing that escapes God's sight. And if you read throughout the Psalms and such, what happens is at the end of them, they come around to that conclusion that yes, God does know. And we're not dealing with today, well, why does evil exist and everything like that? That's a whole different thing. But I want to say, number one, is that he knows, he sees it, and it breaks his heart. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going to go through. He knows what you went through. Not only that, he knows the things that you are not going to go through that you could have gone through. And I love this. He goes, you know, I know that you're in poverty, but you're rich. This church in Smyrna doesn't have much in the ways of wealth or material things, but you're rich. This lets me know that this church in Smyrna, it was on fire for God. This church loved him with everything they had. And they were willing to go through the tribulations, the trials, because of their love for him. So number one is that he knows. Number two is do not fear. And this is the crux of what Christ writes to this church. Verse 10 here. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have a tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. First off, what is this 10 days thing? Most scholars who are far smarter than me believe it refers to one of two things. It could mean a literal 10-day straight period where there was about to be massive persecution in Smyrna against these Christians. Or it could refer to a 10, 10 different periods that would take place under the Roman emperors ending with Diocletian of persecution. I don't know which one. It could be a third option that the scholars haven't figured out yet. I, I don't know. 
I'm just presenting the options to you guys. You can decide what you think it is. But that's what most scholars believe that that that, that that's what Christ is referring to. But he's warning them and he says, listen, don't be afraid of it. It's going to happen. Christ himself encourages this church and he goes, listen, I'm telling you don't be afraid. It's not man, it's not faith, it's not this, it is me. I am telling you, don't be afraid. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Can I ask a question? Who's in control of the earth? That's a great answer. You're wrong. Let me explain. Yes, we believe, and it is true, that God is the ultimate authority over everything. I don't want to make it sound like I don't believe that. God is in control of everything. There is nothing that escapes his sight. There is nothing that happens that he does not allow or come to pass. However... Satan is the ruler of this world. Satan is the ruler of this world. He won't be. Later on in Revelation, we're not going to read it because it's way further on in Revelation. He's going to come back on a white horse and there's going to be rivers of blood. It's going to be horrid but beautiful in some odd way. And Christ is going to take back control. But Satan is in control. So when you say, how can Satan throw people into prison? Because he's the one that's in control. Now, Look at the story of Job. That's the example that I always go back to. Satan can't do anything that God doesn't allow. Not necessarily cause to happen, but allow. So God says, I'm going to allow this persecution to happen. And Satan goes, great, let's get to it. And he's going to throw these people in prison. Some of them are going to be executed. So when you're wondering, why does this bad stuff happen? It's because God says... I'm going to hold off for a little while. Why? Why? There's a great reason why. Because right now you are in the age of grace. And God says, I want everyone to come to me. So I'm going to give every last chance. That means I'm not going to defeat evil yet. Because once I do that, there's no more chances of coming to me. It's set. It's done. So I'm going to hold off. I will wait. Because maybe just one person in Smyrna saw the persecutions and said, I'm serving that God. And that would have been enough for him to allow that to happen. God's the ultimate authority. But Satan has his power. It's not greater than God. But I'll tell you this, he's greater than you and me. It's not greater than God in us. So don't stand on your own. But he says, listen, don't fear. And I love this. Be faithful until death. When I first read that years ago, because Revelation is my favorite book of the Bible. I don't know if I mentioned that last week or not. I love Revelation. Always loved studying it. I've always been fascinated by the, the judgments, by the whole thing. In fact, when I was younger, I skipped right over the first three chapters because I found them boring. Now they're some of my favorite parts of the, of the book. But either way, I always found that weird. Be faithful until death. Shouldn't I be faithful after my death? No. Why do I have to be faithful? I'm with him. I'm already there. My faith, faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because in heaven, you don't need faith. You don't need hope. You still need love. Be faithful until your death. To the point of your death, be faithful to me. And what? I'll give you the crown of life. It goes hand in hand with verse 11. 
which is the second death. So number one was he knows. Number two is do not fear. Number three, the second death. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Last week we read in verse 7, he who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the second letter in a row. He says, listen, if you're faithful to me to the end, I'll reward you. If you stick with me to the very end, no matter how bitter, no matter how good, I'll give you the crown of life. I'll let you eat of the tree of life. I'll protect you from the second death. This church in Smyrna was facing persecution unlike anything that they had ever seen. I know that because I don't think Christ would have warned them if they weren't. This was just your run-of-the-mill Roman persecution. I don't think Christ would have warned them like this. This was something far and beyond. But he says, listen, stay faithful to me. Trust me through this. I've got the end. You can't see it, but I can. I know how it's going to end. Some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to be thrown in prison. Some of you will never see your families again. Some of you very well, very well may be shipped off to Rome to be thrown in a gladiatorial arena to be mauled by lions. Be faithful to me. I'll give you the crown of life. It's better than any crown that this earth could give you. It's better than any money, wealth, or anything that the Roman government could give you. It's better than anything that this world has to offer. I'll give it to you. But you got to stay faithful to me. Obviously, this church wasn't perfect. It didn't have perfect people. Because no church does. But I find it oddly comforting that God says, listen, I, can, I know you're not perfect but I'm not worried about that right now because you're still on fire for me. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. You're going to have moments where you got to slap yourself in the head because you went, I totally missed that opportunity or I gave in to my sin or, or what have you, but you're on fire for me. It's not a coincidence that this persecution doesn't happen in Ephesus. It's not a coincidence that he's warning this church because let me tell you, when a church is on fire for him. Satan goes, and I love this because Satan's not omnipresent, right? He's only one, one place at one time. But he says, listen, the devil is coming to throw you in prison. I kind of think that Satan himself showed up in this town of Smyrna to wreak havoc against this church. Church, I want to tell you something right now. If Satan ever shows up in the town of New Milford, Pennsylvania to wreak havoc on First Baptist Church, we've succeeded. If Satan himself goes, listen, my little demons aren't doing it. I got to go there myself. Man, that means we're so on fire for God that we're changing things. We're changing the world. One person at a time. Something that my one youth leader told me when I was in youth group that has stuck with me for 10 years be a wanted poster in the post office of hell. I didn't understand it when he first said it. I was like, what? I don't want Satan to be all over me. No, I do. Because it means I'm on fire. I'm not here to tell you that Christ is saying, listen, you're about to have 10 days of persecution. No, that was written specifically to Smyrna. I am here to tell you, though, that you will face persecution, but don't fear be on fire for him and be faithful to the end, to your death, whether it be when you're 99 and you die peacefully 
like Ken Post did. He wasn't 99, but... Or you're 24 and you get struck with cancer and you're dead in six months. Or you're over in China or in the Middle East and, and, and ISIS gets you and lops your head off. No matter how you go, be faithful to the end. And he'll give you a crown of life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can worship you. We thank you for again for these letters that you wrote to these other churches. And while specific things like the 10 days of persecution don't apply to us, we can take the whole, the ideas, and go, listen, don't be afraid. Because you promised them a crown of life. You've promised us as well if we were faithful unto the end. Father, we praise you. We love you. Help us to be on fire for you. There's going to be days when it's hard. It's going to be days when those embers are burning low. But I pray that you would help us to stoke that flame back up. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen and amen.